Hey, Jeff Fuller with you, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. You can certainly check out our YouTube channel, uh, Living Hope Wesleyan Church. The podcast is Living Hope Wesleyan. And Facebook, Twitter, it's at Hope for Vermont. But uh, a lot of content out there, a lot of uh, resources for you. We want to say that we are for you because God is for you. And since Jesus loves people, we need to do the same. But uh, one providing a great story and a helpful resource is Ben Stapley. Ben, thank you so much for making the time today. Jeff, thanks for having me on again. I'm glad to be back as a second guest. That means I did something right the first time. Oh, you did. And uh, over this last year, it's been interesting. But since 2021 has begun, how is it different for you than, you know, the heart of the pandemic last year? So for us, we've been in terms of professionally, I'm the um, I'm the weekend experience pastor at Christ Fellowship Miami. And so for us, the big change for us is we we had an online model and then we stepped it up. And so how do we can not just maintain it? But how do we continue it? A lot of churches, a lot of leaders, as they've reopened their doors to their on-site campuses, that online thing, they threw it away. And so for us, we don't want to throw it away. We want to keep ground and gain ground there. So that's one of our big focuses this year. And one of the things that's different is accelerating that because we have exponential growth there with our on-site campuses. We can only launch so many until until the money runs out. Um, But online, we got a huge reach there. So that's one of the biggest difference for us. And you put a post up, this was probably a few months ago now, that you switched cameras. What camera do you use or are you using right now? Uh, so I, I, that's above my pay grade. So I, I, I oversee our production director who's overseeing that install. But our, our older cameras were about 10 years old. They were functional. They were great. But we're moving to a more cinematic look. And so that's, um, it's a different frame rate. It's a different color saturation. But it's, it's, for us, we're trying to do something that is as engaging as possible online. Uh, we're also going to, we, we're moving forward with an LED wall. Those are two big in, installations for us this summer um, because we, we try to create an experience for people that is as dynamic as possible on the screen. Um, and for us, we're trying to use, we're trying to reach a modern audience. So we're using some of those modern storytelling techniques like an LED wall. So when I when I talk about the walls of Jericho, I want to see a 20-foot wall behind me on stage. And, and so those are some big installs that are happening this summer. And hopefully they'll help us reach more people locally, globally, and, and online. So Ben, let's back up a little bit. Ben, uh, Stapley, make some time and just want to get to know you right now you're down in miami florida where did you grow up i'm a canadian citizen still so i grew up in st Catharines, ontario about 30 minutes north of buffalo and i've been down um but i went to uh college in chicago and then i've been doing ministry work in the states for about the past 15 years so i'm down here in miami uh but you'll hear some of the canadian accent sneak out occasionally especially when i say out and about Well, I went to uh, Bible College in New Brunswick, Canada, so I'm familiar with the Maritimes. We have relatives in Vermont. We border, you know, the Great White North. So what can I say? What brought you up to to, to New Brunswick? I'm I'm curious. I know we're rabbit trailing here. What brought you up to the beautiful New Brunswick other than the cold and the lobster? You know what? Uh, I was accepted. So that was number one. (laughs) And uh, being at Bible College, I mean, it was small and so it was personal. Uh, For me, I love sports and I could play sports, but really it was just that. Um, small school with hands-on practical ministry opportunities. And it it was a great experience for me. So uh, I was one of those loud and proud Americans that flew my American flag out the uh, dorm 
window and yeah there's always one there's always that, one that, that was me ring by spring did you get it did you no, no i made it out so i was what two years out of uh bible college before i got uh engaged so i'm one of the fortunate one of the few. ones maybe yeah one of the few hey so with the border being closed do you still have family in canada what has that been like for you yeah, we have most of my families in Southern Ontario, and we I haven't had a chance to see them for about a year and a half now. And we will look at the, for those who aren't aware, pretty much every month they've been canceling the tra traffic up there for non-essential. So family visit is an essential traffic. And so every month we look at that and they say next month, next month, next month. But the tourism, I think on both sides of the country are starting to uh, saber rattle and say, no, yeah. we need to open this up, which I think there's some validity to that. So I have my fingers crossed for late summer. Uh, I'll let you know. If, if we do, I'll send you some great maple syrup from New Brunswick. Well, uh, I think Vermont maple syrup is better, but that's because I'm a loud and proud American. Hey, so my wife is from Grand Rapids, Michigan, so we love driving the 401 through Canada just because it's a lot quicker than going you know, through the States to get there. Um, so, yeah, with the whole pandemic, with the borders being closed, with not being able to see family, I actually have three more funerals. I had one last week of individuals that passed away last year, and the families just wanted to wait until they could get together and mourn together. This word lament or languish has come up often. How yeah. important is it for pastors to provide an opportunity to mourn these losses over this last year, year and a half? Great question. And I would say even before providing it for others, they need to provide it for themselves first. So oftentimes we in the in a pastoral position, take care of others first. And I, I'll speak for myself as well, to the detriment of ourselves. And yeah. so take time to do that. I've lost two family members this past year in Canada that I was not able to attend their funerals. Um, and again, um, this, this is happening globally. It's not just an isolated incident, but that rocked me. And I needed to take time to process that and to, and to mourn that. Uh, and then I was able to better associate with other people in this similar situation as well. And so giving people that time to grieve and also grieving in unique ways, right? How, how do you grieve remotely? How do you grieve yeah. from afar? How do you... How do you close a chapter when you are not able to see the closing casket? So those are difficult questions that people have been wrestling with all uh, all year. And I don't know if we fully understand the weight of that yet. I think some of it's still settling in. Um, yeah. And being a husband and father, I mean, I know for myself it can be difficult as well because it seems like we're the Bible answer man and we're all supposed to have the right answer, which... I often have the right answer, but processing it and being able to live it out is difficult. My son's 19, my daughter's 17, and I know you have two young girls. How have you been able to help them through this? And I guess a question within the question is, were they homeschooled? Did you have to go to that remote learning? All of these factors, you are a pastor, but you also, your dad and your husband, how has that played out? So we, when the pandemic hit, uh, my wife and I quickly found out after a month of remote learning that we are not built to be homeschooling parents. That came on pretty quick. We realized it really fast. And so once the schools opened back up, we pushed them back into there. But in terms of the inquisitive nature, especially of a small child, they got two daughters, an eight and six year old. Yeah, a lot of questions that arise. The Some of them are more, um, some of them are deep and, and, and we wrestle with the we, my daughter was asking, um, can, can we call upon curses on Satan? 
Like, can we, can, can yeah, we, yeah. can we ask, you know, God for, you know, his destruction? And I was, I was trying to like wrestle that. Through. I was like, I don't actually know the answer. Um, then it was followed with the question right after that was followed with, um, were farts a part of the fall? Is that God's yeah. original? And so, and so sometimes there's the questions that are, that are deep and sometimes that are interesting, uh, but they definitely shape my theology and have me ask questions. And sometimes I found the most helpful, I'm sure you do as well. I don't, I don't have to have all the answers. And sometimes I don't know is the most spiritual thing I can say to them. Um, but let's, let's continue to ask God. Let's look in his word. Let's explore. And sometimes we need to be comfortable with not knowing. That may be something that we ultimately will not know until the other side of this life. And we need, to have, we need to still realize that God is good. He's still sovereign, even though he doesn't give us all the answers. He gives us the answers we need, but maybe not all the answers we want right now. Yeah, I think that's so wise. Uh, I ask this carefully because, um, well, I just do. How old were you when you said the, quote, sinner's prayer? And uh, looking at your uh, daughters, like, what stage is it? They always talk about age-appropriate questions and answers to mm-hmm. questions. Uh, talk to me about how you became a Christian, but also how you've been able to live that in front of your daughters. So when they're mm-hmm. able to, when they want to, they can receive that hope as well. Yeah, for me, I, I had three big blessings growing up. I was I had two parents, two parents that loved each other and two parents that loved God. And for me, those are the three biggest blessings that I'm trying to cascade down into the next generation for my daughters. And then for their children as well. So because of that, growing up in a Christian home, I was exposed to the truth that God loved me. But it wasn't until I was around 10 years old that I realized that like this family faith needs to be a personal faith. And I kind of liken it to the idea that um, when someone's lost, when you're lost in a grocery store physically from your parents, that sense of panic hits you, right? Oh my goodness, where are they? I can't find them. I'm, I'm physically lost. And for the first time, I sensed that from a spiritual perspective. I'm lost from my father. Oh no, how do I get reconnected with him? And so that was something that hit me. And that that's, that is my unique narrative and thread in the prism by which I see God a lot, uh, lost and found. And so for me, it's key to, because every time Jesus interacts with people, it's never the same uh, thread that he hits. It's yeah, never the same yeah. note that he hits. It's always a uniqueness in terms of their relationship with him. And so for us as parents, we're trying to figure that out for our daughters. How do they uniquely see their need for God? How do we uncover that for them? And how do we help that um, then point them towards their loving Savior to meet that need? So that's one of the things that we're trying to do with them in some of these very formative years. And that's excellent. On, uh, I think it's either your website or the church website. It talks about you, and then it has memorable moments as part of either your job description or what you are known for. The Power of Moments, I forget the author. That was a great book that I really took a lot from, just being a basketball coach and trying to connect with kids beyond just a piece of leather filled with air. Memorable moments. What does that mean for you? So, yeah, the, that, the Power of Moments, a great book. I read the same book. The idea that the, a lot of our life is plateaued, um, but there's highlights. And there, there can be highlights. There should be highlights by which are formative for us, be it a milestone in our life, be it our 16th birthday, uh, 10th year wedding anniversary, the first day on the job, the last day on the job. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some moments that um, should be infused with power, 
and, and meaning. And then how do we go about doing it? And how do we look for those? Because if not, um, life, you can miss out on those opportunities. And those highs can be plateaus or even worse, lows, because someone did not take the time to invest in the moment and make it memorable. For uh, for me in a, in a ministry context, in a church setting, I try to do this with services. Not every weekend, you know, can be the Super Bowl. Wow, it's huge. But how do we how do we hand select um, services, weekends, moments, attributes of God that we say we want to infuse this with meaning and make this a memorable moment? Uh, I, I like to say um, people people will capture what captivates them. So when I see people pick up their phones and capture something be at the in a beach baptism because there was a hundred people out and it was just, it was big uh, or in a service experience that then, then I know I've hit that memorable moment and people have found it interesting enough to capture and, and to document in their life and, 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 and for the lives of others as well. So I believe there was a Tom Rainer book. I can't remember which one, but it talked about how uh, pastors can be on the third floor of the hospital celebrating the birth of a new child and then travel to the fifth floor of the hospital 20 minutes later and walk through the devastation of a parent who just passed away. How can we have those memorable moments, but still as clergy, as leaders, stay alive when we are mourning with those that mourn and rejoicing with those that rejoice in a matter of, you know, 20 minute spans? Yeah, there is. Um, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I know there. Just in terms of the, on the back end, how do you mourn with somebody? Well, that's hard. It's very hard to do. I know Andy Stanley. I think he's got a, a five questions that he just asks every time, or, or I don't know these questions. I think it's five statements that he has in his back pocket when anyone's going through mourning. Not that he just pulls them out that they're wrote, but they're they're ways to speak life into somebody during those difficult moments. So I, I think there's a level of preparation that is needed that you're comfortable during those, especially the down moments, the highs are usually easy for us to come along and celebrate. It's easy for us to do that. It's harder to do on the back end. Um, and then as you're talking about the ability to pivot quickly, for me, it's just looking at somebody who's unique, that this is, this is your unique, unique opportunity to meet them where they're at. And uh, it's one of the greatest seasons to minister, minister to somebody while they are in need. And so realizing that the, the weight of the moment and the the possibility of the moment helps me to enter into it, even though it's difficult, even though uh, that's not necessarily what I'd like to be doing with a Saturday afternoon. It's where somebody is, and this may be the, the biggest spiritual season for them over the next year. So take that time to walk them through it well. And I just finished reading Relationship Grit, uh, John and Catherine Gordon, and uh, Grit by... Mm -hmm. Angela Duckworth, I think. but And I think it's the ability, the courage to get back up. Uh, with your testimony, with you as a person of faith following Jesus, having to get back up, um, how have you learned that grit, as, in, as important as courage, and what I'm saying is, or asking is, not courage to do a new thing, but doing something again that you know you need to do, even though you've failed in the past? I, I, I got it. So how do I how do I push through adversity and, and try again, even though it, last time wasn't successful? Yeah. <laughs> um, the there's the phrase right as somebody's a, an overnight success, and what we don't realize nobody's an overnight success. Nobody just woke up and I wow, I was instantaneously good. It's because they've been failing 
for a long time, failing and succeeding, failing and succeeding. And that's why they finally get to that point where they break through. There's that whole idea of the 10,000 hours, right? You got you have to invest yeah. time to be able to become a master at something. And then for me, the other, the other thing I look at it from a creative standpoint and being a creative person, and I, I think this applies to everybody, but maybe a little more for creatives, is that your best work comes through failure. It comes through trial and error. And that's where I, I find my my best creative ideas, uh, breakthroughs come through through for, for me for for failures. So it, it isn't I failed. It's I found one less way that it's not going to work. And I've I, th that list has gotten shorter. So I'm I'm closer to the solution through this failure. And I I, I take a, a positive perspective there that this is getting me closer to the end result and the solution through this failure. So don't don't run from it. Run into it and run through it quickly so that you can ultimately get to the success on the back end of it. Really good. Ben Stapley makes up time, benstapley.com. Uh, being a creative, how do you find, and I, this is a generalization, but how do you find satisfaction in knowing something was accomplished versus feeling like you have to always improve something? Hmm. The um, taking time to celebrate. So a lot of organizations, we like to be up and to the right, right? What's the next hill we're going to take? How are we going to succeed? Um, and so for me, I like to take time to celebrate uh, what did work, what did not work well. Um, oftentimes we'll jump to the what did not work well and, and overpass the what worked. And so I like to just celebrate. That's a sense for myself, a sense of accomplishment that we did something well. And then more importantly, for the teams that I lead, there's three ways to lead people through coaching, critiquing, and celebrating. We spend the majority of our time coaching and critiquing and less time celebrating. But I don't know about you, but unless you're a glutton for punishment, you don't thrive on critique. You thrive on celebration. Most of right, us do, right. right? Think of it when you were a child, when a when a, when a teacher encouraged you, when a parent said, well done, that's going to inspire you to take that next hill, that celebration. So I come at it from a we need this. This is the way we're wired. This is the way I'm wired. This is the way I want to um, empower my teams through celebration. So, I, yeah, there's always room to improve, but I I deliberately take time. Uh, we'll do that in our service review every week. We will look uh, at how things can get better. Before that, what worked, what went well, what worked well. So that's something that we do. And and then um, the other thing too is uh, just to give ourselves a season a break. Uh, we'll do that every week, but then about once a month, we'll take a break. We, we purposely will not review a service to give ourselves a Sabbath from it, give ourselves a break from it. And then when we come back to it, we have fresh eyes. So that's a, that's another technique I use in terms of celebration and, and not becoming overly critical is just to take it. If you are in the season of that, whatever your work is, whatever your ministry is, if you do that regularly, give yourself some type of Sabbath or it will become it will become routine and it, you, it will lose a degree of its meaning. So good. Uh, ben, who are you learning from? Uh, I, I'm learning from a lot of other lead pastors right now who are staying in the game. So I'm sure a lot of other people who are listening here that uh, this past year has been hard. And there's been times where I'm wondering, should I, do I need to hang up? I'll use the sports metaphor because you're you're an athlete. Do I need to hang up the cleats and call it a day, uh, or do I got a couple more laps left in me? And so I've been I've been leading from uh, learning from leaders who are still in the game who've doubled down and say, no, I think this is an opportunity for us to reach more people 
for us to throw out a bit of our playbook that had become stale and stodgy in terms of doing ministry, um, refocusing us in terms of what is important. And so I, I've been learning from those type of leaders because I've needed that. Where I've this past year, I've had a, a crisis of ministry. Do I belong in ministry? Do I not? Do I need to stay in? Do I need to stay out? So I've been, there's a couple of key leaders that I have conversations with about once a month that are leading me through that on a very personal, personal level. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, for myself, I mean, I pastor a small family country church here in the Northeast in Vermont. And when you look at content, you think about, man, they could be watching any big name person with a lot better lights, with a lot better message. But, you know, when there's a funeral, they actually ask me, not one of these pastors they've been watching online, with great content. So a question I tried to ask off air to prepare you, when we try to not mimic, but we want to put out content as well, but it doesn't always connect with people. And so then I start thinking, you know, I'm not as good as whatever big name pastor out there. We don't have the funds as whatever ministry resource. How would you advise local church pastors to really connect with their people, uh, with their content that they're putting out, whether it's email, whether it's text messages, a newsletter, or whether it's YouTube videos and things of that nature? Great question, Jeff. And that's a, the, the tension you're feeling is something we've all felt this past year, regardless of where we're located or how big or how small our church is. We, because we used to, uh, kind of pre-COVID, we would compare ourselves to the church down the street, right? The, who, what are they doing? What are they doing? What should, but then when the, when the lockdown hit, we all jumped online and we all looked online. Hey, and we didn't look at the, a church that is similar in our size. We looked at the one with the budget <laughs> 10 times. And a congregation 100 times as big as ours. And we had that inferiority, that false sense of inferiority. Sure. So the first thing is, like, just reminding ourselves that God has placed each of us in a particular time, in a particular place. I'm not up there in Vermont. I, I cannot do what you have uniquely been gifted to do. Only you can do that. And, and the claiming that, claiming that promise of God that he's going to do something unique in your time, in your place, um, is, is something powerful. Uh, and then beyond that as well, you, your people are not going to be getting a call from another mega pastor. They're going to be getting a call from you. And so reminding yourself of that relational uh, equity that you have with them and the value that you have. For us, when we hit the pandemic, yeah, we we churned out content. Let's get content out the door. And let's make sure it's great. And we super soaker with way too much content. And then we saw the attendance rate, you know, kind of yeah, drop off. Yeah. Um, and then someone had a novel idea. They said, why don't we call people? <laughs> Um, they're not coming on site anymore and they're not, they're, they're starting to tune out online. They're not watching anymore. They're at home alone. And we just picked up the, we picked up the phone and we called people. And probably the thing that was the most life-giving, the most redemptive uh, and the most Im impactful in this past year was that was phone calls um, outside of QR codes. QR codes was the biggest win. Second to QR codes was phone calls for us and yeah. having that, that connection with people. They the Zoom fatigue, I, I don't want to see you. I just woke up. I got bedhead. I don't want to do this. Right. Um, but a phone call, yes, I will do that. That's That spanned the generations as well. There was no technological burden and, uh, and loop for our older uh, generation to, to jump through and jump through the hoop. They had the phone and they were they wanted to pick up that rotary phone call and, and answer it. And so that was a big win for us this past year. Makes me laugh. My dad worked for the telephone company for what, 32, 33 years, and he still has a rotary phone. 
And so with daughter, one of those long extension cords where you can, yes. you can go to the kitchen? Oh, you can. And my daughter, who is 17, just like we saw on TikTok or whatever, we asked her to make a phone call and she couldn't do it. And so just just humorous. With, with those telephone calls, what parameters did you put up? Were there specific questions? Was it to promote an event? And did you just say limit the time that you were on the phone call? No. So for uh, for us, that that's like very strategic. We didn't do any of that. We just said, how are you doing? And the calls would go from five minutes to 55 minutes and just hearing how people were doing. That was that was enough or people were so depleted. Just that one question was enough to arm our volunteers to say, ask this question and hear and listen. And uh, that will be very helpful. Uh, so for us, it, it, it was we kept it very simple and we found that to be very, very effective. So if my district superintendent is watching, I say this tongue in cheek, but being Wesleyan uh, Methodist, sometimes we want the right method to accomplish things and just allowing God's spirit to do his work. And, uh, you know, just the power of scripture and who Jesus is for you being fast and flexible. Have you kind of learned to be more comfortable with that uncertainty or are you still trying to develop that method so other pastors can uh, go step by step in a proper direction? Yeah, one of the keys for a lot of us this past year is we realized that we we were holding the wrong thing tight, right? We need to hold tight to our to the the message and the mission, but the method we need to be a little open handed with that. And and even now, as a lot of church leaders, and I've been looking at you know Instagram posts like, "Come on back, come on back, get back, get back." Right. We're we're holding tightly to the wrong thing, and I'm not I'm not decrying on site ministry, but that is a method to make people more into the image of Jesus which, you know, that, that is a method to disciple all nations. But it, that is not the mission. It is not the message of love and redemption that is freely given to all people. And so for, for us, we are trying to continue to hold loosely to our methods to be nimble because this is not the – change is not done. Change is continual. Right. Progress is continual. So hopefully um, next year and the year after that, there will be modifications to our method because we held on to it so loosely that we could let things go that were ineffective and we could grab onto things that were new and we found to minister well and, and during that time and location, like we talked before, that are unique to us. Oh, that's so good. It, it makes me think of leadership pain is that Sam Chan, where if we want to grow, we need to experience pain. So there's change and that, that brings growth. But sometimes we want to skip steps, skip steps, but it doesn't always work that way. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ben, a few more questions and I'll let you go. And thanks again for making the time. It's certainly a um, an honor for me. And something I've found in this last year is I love to meet people and I wasn't meeting people over coffee or breakfast. But I got this new avenue to not only meet people, but provide a resource, hopefully to our congregation and others. For you podcasting, have you always been a podcaster and wanted to share your content in this manner? Or how has that grown or evolved this last year? Yeah, great question. So for me, I'm actually, it's funny thing is I, I struggle. Um, I, I like to verbally process. And so for me, doing this is helpful. You know, it's, it's hopefully it's helpful to you and the people watching, but it's also really beneficial for me because this is how I get to my best ideas. Some people are snipers and some people are um, machine gunners. Sniper, right? I I know what I want to do. I think, I th you know, ready, 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 aim, fire. I'm, I'm a machine gunner. I'm fire 
ready, and then aim. And so the more I talk things about, well, hopefully the conversation isn't too meandering, but the more I talk things out, the more I'm able to zero in on what I believe, what I need to take a next step on. Yeah. So podcasting is a great format for that. Um, I'm sure you jumped on, you checked it out. Clubhouse is a great format, it's like that long form audio format where the conversations are a little more meandering. Yeah. I find it to be helpful. At the end of the day, I still like podcast listening, creating that because there's something beneficial in terms of content rich where I can, hey, this is 10 minutes of gold, just go. Um, but I, I do like both formats, a more of a meandering and a more of a condensed conversation. And I noticed that you've been on Rich Birch's Unseminary mm -hmm. podcast. Rich was gracious enough for this time to join me for an episode uh, last year. Did you know Rich before you moved down stateside or how did that relationship all happen? So we worked together at Liquid Church for about two years. We had a nice overlap season there, and that's how we got a chance to know each other. He, uh, I was a creative arts pastor, and he was the operational pastor at the time. So we had uh, we had an overlap, and uh, he's been a great friend, a fellow Canadian, um, not in New Brunswick, but a fellow Canadian as well. He's back up there now, and he's also the executive director of a great Christian camp. So that guy wears many hats, and he wears them well. How important are relationships? And again, I think it all begins with respect. And after you earn someone's respect, then you can have trust and have uh, true friendships that don't take advantage of one another. But um, I just see people in different jobs. I look back at different things that I've mm. done that mm. you don't realize that those could become lifelong friends that you reach out to after not speaking with for, you know, five, seven years. How have you had to develop your understanding of valuing each friendship and relationship uh the, i think the seeing seeing that each friendship has a different shelf life is wow. helpful not every friendship needs to go the distance and i'm sure you know the friendships you made in college these are lifelong friendships some yeah, of them yeah. may be there's going to be few and far between and not all of them need to be actually that's unhealthy it's unhealthy if you keep on just we only have so much bandwidth and so we cannot just keep on bringing on lifetime friendships or we have we got 100 lifetime friends and that's not the case you're not going to have the you're not going to have the relational equity to be able to do that to pull that off well so realizing that some come and go um is super helpful and for me i found it super helpful as well to be pleasantly surprised well, there's been times where I'll come into an organization or maybe it's even a neighborhood. Wow, I, we really like that couple across the street. We want this to work. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, or there's other, somebody else that comes across your path and you didn't necessarily think twice about them. But over time, you found to develop a great admiration for who they are. And not only do you hear from them, but they hear from you. And it's a mutual respecting relationship. So um, be pleasantly surprised and open-minded to the relationships God is bringing into your life. And then be, again, open-handed. The ones that need to depart, be okay with that. Because there's a lot of people out there, and there's that there's possibly a new relationship God wants you to foster. So don't hold on too tight with the ones that don't seem to be working out. So this question I like to ask or tell you uh, that we're not on air, but we are on uh -oh. air. But the question simply is, do you like being known as an expert? People look at you, they see what you do, they think that you come in with the most self-confidence and uh, exuberance because you've done things in the past, or do you feel like there's a weight when people approach you about your specific ministry or things that you're involved most with? If there's any expertise I bring to the table, it's the expertise of asking questions. 
and being a voracious learner and not having it all figured out. So there's there's some that I come to the table with, but hopefully at the end of the day, my expertise is not is not is not capped off with what what I do, but it's wanting to learn more. And I think um, that's that's the most relationships. Even this conversation here, I'm, I'm learning from you as we talk, and. So I, I don't try to come into I don't try to come in with an expert label and to most conversations I try to come in with um, let's let's go on this journey together let's ask the right questions to help us find the best answers so I if there's a if there's a label that I would want to put on myself it wouldn't be expert uh, it would be curious and I, I think like that. that gets us to a better place. Again, Ben Stapley, uh, make some time BenStapley.com, Instagram, Twitter, Ben Stapley and. We'll get you out with um, this question. That's simply been when you think back at the good fortune you had of having parents that loved you, that cared, that nurtured you. What advice or what hope do you have for some of these students that did not grow up the way Mm. that you grew up? Yeah, so that's and I've shared that before and I've heard people give me that feedback. That's great for you. But that's not something I got, and that's not something I can get. So, what about me? What do I do? I don't. I didn't have any of those. I, I uh, did not grow up in a dual home, uh, a dual home that where the parents loved each other, or loved God, or even knew about God. What do I do? The beautiful thing is, right? God uses He uses relational language, and He and He uses it from both genders as well. Oftentimes, we know, that, oh, we've got God the Father, right? Uh, Jesus also says, like, hey, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I'm gonna get worked up here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, I, I, as I wish to be a mother hen and to, to gather you around, gather you like chicks towards me, but you would not allow me. And so Jesus is, is from, a, from, a, from a motherly perspective. Oh, man, I just want, I wanted to take care of you and, and to gather you like children, but you wouldn't let me. And that's God's heart. And wherever our de- deficiencies are from our parents, and there's, there's plenty, uh, even from a good home, that God says, I wanna step in. And I want to be your father and I want to be your mother. And I want to fill those gaps for you from our relationship. So allow me to do that. And at the end of the day, some of those gaps will get filled here on earth. Some will not. Some will have to wait to the full healing of those gaps in our upbringing unto the other side of heaven. But I would say look towards God to fill those and to be pleasantly surprised when he does. Well, Ben, thank you again for making the time. We will uh, lift you up and your family and continue prayers. Know that you are being used of God. You're making a difference. And uh, just being brothers in this family of God is is pretty spectacular. So thanks again. Jeff, I can't let you go until I find out you're from the Northeast. Um, yeah. And we got you, you got you got basketball in your blood. We got a game coming on soon between Boston and Brooklyn. Who are you rooting for? Who am I rooting for? I'm rooting for the Celtics. Who do I think is going to win? Not not the Celtics, but uh, it's been a difficult season being a Celtics fan. We have a lot of talent, but there's not much chemistry, and um, we look like the dysfunctional church at times, so that's that's what I'm going to go with. But, yeah, I'd love to see the Celtics do, do something, but. Yeah, but the yeah. heat the heat are out, so I, I was kind of happy about that after last season. Oh, come on. That's good run. I'm down here in Miami. Those are fighting words. Be careful. Yeah, I know, but we're separated by a camera like it's been most Sundays this last year, so I think we're okay. But, Ben, hey, a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff.
And again, uh, my name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. You can find us on YouTube, Living Hope Wesleyan Church, Apple iTunes. The podcast is Living Hope Wesleyan. Thanks all. Make time to get to know somebody, ask great questions, learn from them, and uh, experience God's truth for you because it is same. He loves us. He is for us so we can love and be for one another.